It is fast becoming known that one of my hobbies in life is birding, and uh, or bird, bird watching for the uninitiated. Uh, that's just fun fact. If you ever interact with someone, say the word birding, and you'll otherwise just get an eye roll. Bird watching is just longer, more syllables, and uh, just less. Uh, you just don't want to use it. But uh, but I love birding, and um, it's the spring migration. So there's lots of great birds out right now, especially it's breeding season. So lots of beautiful birds. Here are some examples of birds you may see if you're paying attention. The first one is an indigo bunting. This is one of my favorites. It's always at the top of trees, usually calling. Uh, very beautiful. It holds a special place in my heart because it was the first one I, I uh, logged when I actually officially started birding with binoculars and whatnot and all that official stuff. A great bird. This next one you may see occasionally or more often occasionally on your way to church as you're walking into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the asphalt and everything uh, because these birds lay eggs in th- these areas and so and they're very aggressive, so they may attack you on your way into church, um, but they're all across the parking lot. You see them, especially during the week when I come into the office. Uh, uh, they're called killdeers. They don't actually kill deer, but that's what they're called. So I think it's some dude's name. The next one is one of my favorites uh, for a couple different reasons. It's like a, it's a more beautiful cardinal, in my opinion. Cardinals are already beautiful, but uh, it's known as the cedar waxwing. And all these are local, by the way. You could see them if you were looking for them. Um, but this is one of my favorites. Um, it's really hard to, to see, and, and, beca- and because it's, uh, its call is like a high-pitched, high-frequency kind of thing. So it's like a buzzing in the ear. You can't even tell it unless you're really listening. Uh, and Probably, you know, if, if you're losing your hearing, then you probably won't even hear it at all. Um, but it also is incredibly shy. It's one of the more shy birds. It'll always run away. And so unless you are intentionally looking for it and listening for it, you'll miss it. Uh, and so this is a few of my favorite birds in the area. Um, but I want us to, to just think about that for a second. How many things in our life did, do we miss? Because they're, they're all around us, but we're just not listening. We're not looking. The, the mysteries and the, and the beautiful things of life. What makes you, you wonder? The, the things, the questions you have about creation especially. The, the mysteries of creation. You know, someone can study birds their whole life and only scratch the surface of, of what God has created. What are the things that, that, that kind of plumb those depths f- for you? For example, the idea of how can our words become poems and poetry, that a word, when you piece them together, they can become something poetic or or even lyrical in in song or something that that vibrates at certain frequencies that can be played uh, a a guitar and it becomes something beautiful that moves us in our emotions and there's no explanation for that. What's the the reason behind that? You know, we're surrounded by mysteries and, and wonders to discover. And, and, and humans, we're, we're created for this, to seek these things out, born to wonder, born to, to discover. And we, I think we are born to, to participate in these mysteries. And this morning, I have the privilege of guiding us in the direction of the greatest mystery of all, which is the cross and Christ crucified. And so if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians 2, it's towards the back of your Bibles, or if you have a phone app, you can pull it up. Um, 
But 1 Corinthians 2, we, we've, we've been, uh, this is our third week in this series on 1 Corinthians called True North, trying to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so as you're turning there, 1 Corinthians 2, um, I want to just give a quick recap and some context where we've been and where we're going to be today. 1 Corinthians is a, a book written to the, the church, a small church, you know, some scholars estimate 100, 150 people max, which is kind of crazy. You think of these huge, huge churches. No, like, at that time, it was fledgling a couple of years. 100, 100 people, the church at Corinth. And he starts getting these reports and he's been interacting with some people. Uh, it's just not, there's some things that are going, going off the rails and some good things. And so he's writing this letter to address a few of these things. It's written mostly to Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, uh, people not like Paul, but a lot of people like us. And so we can really relate to a lot of, of, of that, and more of that culture than we would uh, the Jewish world. And we've been talking about this, this idea of worldview. We're going to throw this Venn diagram up and just kind of the idea of, of that our beliefs and our actions and our context, our culture, environment, they kind of combine and, and we're going to, they're going to help us or cause us to see certain ways. And for the Corinthian church and for us, so we, the temptation is to not see the world through the eyes of Christ and this morning through the eyes of, of Christ crucified. And so we're going to engage these things in different ways uh, throughout, not just this morning, but the entire series. But um, we want to have Christ lenses to be moving towards that center, that all of our lives, beliefs, actions, and context would be defined by Christ. And this morning, by Christ and the cross. And uh, we saw last week the Corinthians, they're boasting, they're looking at, at things of the world that are, that, are, that are foolish and they're overlooking the things of God. And, uh, and so this is a continuation of that conversation. Um, Eric last week taught on the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God and how the wisdom of the world uh, looks like strength, but it's actually weakness. And, and the wisdom of God looks like weakness, but it's actually strength. And we see that the culmination of that conversation at the beginning of 1 Corinthians with the text today, uh, starting in, in verse 1. So let's pick this up. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And we're going to stop there and spend most of our time in these five verses, particularly verse two. But a couple of things to notice. Paul is referring back to the time a few years earlier when he founded the, helped found the church at Corinth and he was physically with them. And he says that like, I walked and lived in a certain kind of way and I used certain kinds of words. He says he did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, came with weakness, fear and trembling, and that he... This is the key, resolve to know nothing except, except Christ and him crucified. And so here's some more Corinthian context. They were, they were, they were a, 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 a culture that really valued uh, good teaching and, 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 and talks and, and demonstrations and, and they would love great preachers and TED Talks and all these kinds of things. And, and the, the more uh, wise you were, the crazier your presentations would be in your body language and your, you know, whatever else. And, and you're going to use certain cadences and, and your goal was almost to just confuse your audience to the point where they would walk away and be like, I don't know what that guy said, but he was a genius. 
And that was their way of life. That's what their value system. And I think there's a lot of that in, in our culture, that we, we like good preaching, we like good teaching, we like fill in the blank, these, these kind of expressive kinds of things. But Paul said he comes to Corinth, not like that, but in humility and weakness, knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. He came to the Corinthians with the simplicity and the power of the cross. One of my uh, heroes of the faith, he passed about a decade ago. His name's Dallas Willard, and, and um, he, just a brilliant intellect, wrote tons of books and, and just made a huge impact on me and, and countless other uh, leaders and, um, and people throughout the last, uh, well, since he's lived, really. Um, but one of the things I really respect about him, he, he early on, he just kind of discerned, like, he knew he was gifted. He knew that God had something to say through him, and he's like, I don't want... Um, what God is doing and what God has to say to be overshadowed by my giftedness. And so if you ever would go look up Dallas Willard teaching and you listen to him speak, it would be, it's incredibly dry and it's, it's borderline boring. He was intentionally not being flashy. I thought about maybe just coming up here today and just reading my transcript, just, you know, low voice, you know, nothing flashy, that kind of thing. And then, and then everyone would fall asleep and, uh, yeah, but, um, but that's what Dallas would do. And the thing is, he drew crowds to, to his content, to his teaching, because ultimately it was Christ shining through him. And that's exactly what Paul says he did among the Corinthians. That he, in simplicity, came in the power of the cross. And he came uh, with, a, with proclaiming this thing that he said, the, the text says, the, the testimony about God. Some translations say the mystery about God. Testimony is a better translation. Um, but it's, it's, it's this word that's this, the root word, the same word as martyrion, which is the word for martyr. And so, which we, uh, martyrs are those who've been killed for the faith oftentimes, those who witness for the faith. But he's, he's sharing a witness. He's sharing his story. He's sharing the mystery of, of his story and how it came into contact with God's story. And he bears this testimony, striving to know in their midst nothing except Christ and him crucified. What does that mean, though? Christ and him crucified. It's ice cream season. It's Sunday, Sunday, this Sunday. And uh, so uh, we've, there's an argument of, like, what's the best? You know, vanilla, chocolate, toppings, all those kind of things. I grew up uh, loving vanilla, and then I matured, and now my favorite is chocolate ice cream, uh, which actually was the original flavor. Chocolate flavoring was invented before vanilla, so we got that going. I don't know what yours is, but um, you kind of decide who's right. But, but I, uh, my wife and I, we live in walking distance of Jarlings. For those of you who don't know who Jarlings is, you know, I guess I We've only been here for a year, but it's supposedly famous. It is, it is, should be famous. It's really good. But it's an ice cream shop. And so, you know, we try and limit it to one time a week and we fail often um, in that endeavor, especially during the summer. But my favorite order is, is a junior snowstorm with chocolate ice cream, uh, cookie dough inside, cold fudge on top. And uh, so I just love that's that combination, the richness. It's just, it's just oh, glorious. But you all probably have your own orders and your own, you know, uh, hopes and dreams for if you had a sundae or you had ice cream, what you're going to put on top. We love putting toppings. We like customizing, doing it however we like. And, and this is what the Corinthian church was doing with their beliefs and their actions. And they were contextually, they were like, oh, I want a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have some Jesus. Um, and, 
But we do this too. And we're going to see a lot of that in the coming weeks in Corinth and how it intersects with our culture. But we also do that with what we would say, what is the gospel? We like to use these, these big words and, you know, justification, uh, sanctification, hell, heaven, forgiveness, judgment, sin, atonement, grace, these, these theological words that we like to use to describe what the gospel is. And they surely all have their place in conversation, but what is the gospel at its simplest, at its most basic flavor? Here's one articulation from Mark 1 that I like to use. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, God's kingdom is here. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus is king, I'm king, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. Here's another that Eric likes to use. God creates, man chooses, Jesus redeems. Some some beautiful biblical articulations, but Paul in this passage says this. Christ crucified. This is the testimony. This is what we preach. This is what I'm about. This is who I strive to know and represent among you. Simple, profound, but it's still a mystery. For example, one of the first questions I, you probably have, what about the resurrection? Does Paul not believe in the resurrection? Oh, he does. We'll get there in about 20 weeks. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, just as a teaser, without the resurrection, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we would have never heard of him. But for Paul, though, the resurrection is merely the proof of God's power that is ultimately found in the cross, which is oftentimes a reversal for our day an age like Corinth, we like resurrection. We like a comeback. We don't like suffering. We don't like hardship. We don't like things like the cross. And so for the rest of today, I want us to hopefully come at the cross from a different angle to reframe it, to help us with freshness understand what does it mean to, to preach Christ crucified, to strive to know Christ and him crucified. What, is that, what does it mean to sum that up in two words, Christ crucified as the gospel? And we're going to have to to step into some first century shoes to do that. We talked a little bit about this last week, but Paul says that the cross is is absolute foolishness to anyone. But we, as if if you if you've been around, if you're if you follow Jesus, certainly. But but even if you're visiting, you, you probably have heard of Jesus and how he died. It's not anything new. It's not anything foolish. It's like oh yeah, Jesus died and people follow him. But for first century people, what Paul was saying was crazy. It was, it was absolute chaos, craziness. The first century, the cross was the ultimate tool for shame and, and, and domination. It was the tool of the empire. The Romans used it to bring fear and trembling to anyone who would dare question them to come against them. In Paul's day, it was not uncommon to, as you're walking along the roads that the Romans created, to be like, oh, look, we're going to crucify a bunch of people along the road to remind you who you are in light of us. And if you push back in any way, this is who you're going to end up being. You're going to be one of these people. And we don't talk about this often, but crucifixion is even more shameful than we usually talk about because you are almost always crucified naked. It was humiliating to the nth degree. It was not something you talked about in polite company. 
And this is hard for us to grasp because it's become so common in our knowledge and in our, in our speech. We, we don't fully understand what it meant in that day. Christ preaches, tries to know Christ crucified as the gospel. It's crazy. Christ means Messiah or King. Crucifixion meant shame, death, defeat, humiliation. The two don't go together. Crucified King was insanity. And so let's take a step back into our day. Maybe, maybe this will help us. Imagine with me today, you're walking along the street. There's a a seemingly kind of nice guy just walking along and he's got this big chain and he's got something sitting on on the chain and you're like, oh, what is that, man? And he's like, oh, this is, this is an electric chair. It's just a replication of an electric chair that I carry around. And it's just, for, I just want to make sure I remember. I'm like, oh, remember like what happens if you, you know, if you do something really bad, you'll be killed. No, no, it's, it's to remember my friend Josh. My friend Josh, you know, he, he, he died in this a similar chair as this. And, and you know, he, he died and, and I just, every day I talk to him and he's, he's just, he's my best friend. And, and you know, I, he even came back and I think he's, I think he's saving the world. That's what he's all about. What would you do in that situation? You would probably be like, oh, okay. And then in your mind, this guy needs to go into a mental ward. He's, he's like, he, there's some things wrong with him. And that is exactly what people heard when, when, when Paul was saying, it's all about Christ crucified, the crucified king. This is madness. Who would believe such a thing? A God who dies on a cross? And I say this all, friends, to remind us that what we believe is not normal. Many of us have been around it so often that it's become just, oh yeah, Christ crucified, yeah. What we believe is crazy. It's insanity. And people in the culture, if they're really thinking and they don't know Jesus, are right to be like, what you believe is crazy. And we should be like, yeah, it is, but it's true. That's exactly what Paul is saying and living. We would, if we were in the city of Corinth, in the church or not, we would be tempted like, man, this, this is really crazy. Like starting to believe my, like my friends are saying I'm crazy and yeah, because it is. There's a theologian, her name is Fleming Rutledge. She says this about the crucifixion. The world's religions have certain traits in common, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world, no one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. The scandalous word of the cross is not a human word. It is a spirit-empowered presence of God in the preaching of the crucified one. The cross is ultimately a mystery. It's mysterious. We don't understand it. It's crazy. It's madness. And we've lost just how crazy it is, just how mad we should maybe feel as we strive to live in this crazy story we've been invited into. Paul goes on. This might help us. Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the, of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The cross is foolishness. The rulers, they didn't understand it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul, in another letter to another church, uh, Colossians 2.15, he says, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross that was a public spectacle of triumph towards the enemies of Rome, Jesus took it and Christians took it and it is now the victory of God. This is the cross. It was the public shaming of principalities and powers and rulers. It's the feet of sin, death, and Satan, the conquering of the powers of darkness. It marked a beginning of, of a new age that we are invited into. You see, everything flows from the cross. Paul says, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. From beginning to end, the story of Scripture testifies that, that our predicament of, as fallen humanity is so serious, so grave, so irredeemable, we can't do anything about it, that nothing short of divine intervention can, can fix it. And then the cross is the answer. It's God's answer. Everything flows from the cross. Revelation 13.8 says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. The cross has always been the plan. It has always been the Father's heart. It has always been his intention to reconcile and redeem and rescue us by coming and dying on a cross. What I have seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived. These are the things God has prepared for those who love him. Everything, all of reality, love, grace, compassion, forgiveness, justice flows from the cross of the crucified king. The, the timeline of the entire human saga, when Christ stretches out his hands, it's from beginning to end. It is all the cross. This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the crucified king. Because we love and we serve and we follow a crucified king. This is the good news. And you might be thinking, Sam, well, this, whoa, this, I mean, it sounds good. I might, maybe you're inspired, you know, or you're being reminded of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian. Maybe you're like, oh, man, this is crazy, but it's actually kind of intriguing. Maybe you're, you're just checking it out for the first time. It's like, what does it mean for my life? How do I, I live into it? I'm, I'm not Paul. I'm not, I'm not Jesus. And I want to say you're in good company. You know, one of my favorite worship songs is a song called Highlands. And uh, here's some of the lyrics from the end of the song. It goes, from the gravest of all valleys come the pastures we call grace. A mighty river flowing upwards from a deep but empty grave. This is 
the way of the cross, that from death, from the cross, from the grave flows the life of God. And that we are invited into this river to, to jump in with Christ. Uh, those of you who, who love C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, the, the wardrobe is this, this, this magical wardrobe made out of wood and you walk into it and the whole new reality and that's what the cross does for us that when we walk through the, the, the wood of the cross, we enter into this new kingdom reality that we can belong to, that we can live in, that we can participate in something that has already been accomplished. This is the good news of the crucified king. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died at the hands of the Nazis as a German theologian. He said, a king who dies on a cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. And I don't know where you're at in your walk as a Christian, if you're trying to fit in, be cool, but we as Christians believe strange things and live in strange ways and we, at least we should be. We should be in contrast to much of the culture, not in, in, in condemnation and judgment, but because I'm just following Jesus, I'm following the crucified king because he and his way, the rivers of life flowing from the grave and from the cross, that's the way. Jesus' kingdom is strange indeed. It's not always simple to navigate. Up is down, down is, is up. We, we die to gain life, but we're not alone in it. This is what Paul says to us and to the Corinthian church at the end of chapter two, starting in verse 14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The spirit, but the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer you expect is, well, no one can know the mind of the Lord. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. The Greek word for mind is the same parallel in the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach. Breath. So when Paul is writing this in Greek, he would have had the same two things, that we both have the spirit and the mind of Christ. If we have committed our life, pledged allegiance to the Lamb, who is the crucified King, Jesus Christ. And for some strange, mysterious reason, from the beginning of time, God has always wanted to partner with us he wants to be in relationship. He's never done something apart from a human partner. He wants our participation. And so the invitation to us, to Corinth for Paul, and to us is to relearn what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, in the way of the cross, in the way of Christ crucified. We're not alone. We have the spirit and the mind of Christ. But the invitation of the crucified king is participation in the cruciform kingdom. The invitation of the crucified king is participation in the cruciform kingdom that we follow the king in his way of life in a kingdom that looks like the cross, that's cross-shaped, that's cross-like, that, that it, we go into suffering and death with Christ. 
in his cruciform kingdom and his cruciform way of life. Luke 9, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. So what would it look like to be, for our lives to be formed in the shape of the cross, to be cruciformed, to resolve to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified like Paul? And so with our remaining time, I want to talk through three quick primary invitations to look like Jesus on the cross, to be cruciformed, life of the kingdom. Three ways, the words and ways of Christ and of Paul. The first is this, we are invited into incarnation. We're invited into incarnation. Last week, we uh, had an illustration of, as humans, we tend to put God in a box. We love putting God in a box, in boxes that we decorate. And we make like, this can go in the box, and this belief about God, and this action, and, and these things. This is my God box. And we learn that that's foolishness. But the good news of the gospel, of incarnation and crucifixion, is that God gets in our boxes He came down to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes into our our destructive boxes and he says, I have a better way. I have made a better way through the cross. Come, follow me. We see this beautifully in another church, to, uh, another letter to another church in Philippi that Paul says this. He's quoting this, this beautiful hymn. He says, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And we like that second half. Jesus is reigning. He's the king. He's, he has power. He's in control. Like, I can follow that. But we, we don't think about it, that the pattern of Jesus is the first half, the invitation into incarnation, to put on flesh, to enter into the lives and stories of others. This is what Paul models here in Corinth. He's referencing back. See, look at this in the first couple verses. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. Paul's entire ministry strategy, not just in Corinth, but in all of the churches, his pattern was modeled off of Christ crucified, which begins with putting on flesh and entering into the lives and stories of other people. Incarnation. And we have the same invitation on our life if we want to participate in the cruciform kingdom. And so a couple questions at the end of each of these three things to help you reflect. Where has God already placed you where the kingdom has not come? Where has God already placed you where the kingdom has not come? Your workspaces, your neighborhoods, 
your families, your friendships, your favorite restaurants and coffee shops, fill in the blank. Where has God already placed you where the kingdom has not yet come? And how can you be present in that space incarnationally? And then also, as you're in that space, what would it look like to be fully present to others in that space? We live in an age of distraction in our very, the world's at our fingertips with these things. And so there are incarnational moments that that, that the Spirit is inviting us into every single day that we miss because we're too busy and we're too distracted. So what would it look like to say no to distractions, to discipline ourselves and maybe our devices? to be present to someone else who we're already, already around. And that brings us, that flows directly into our second invitation, which is we are invited to enter into suffering. We're invited to enter into suffering. The cruciform kingdom and life is a descent into suffering, hardship, and difficulty. If you are following Jesus and you are in the midst of suffering, then you're doing something right. Too often... We think of, oh, I've accepted Jesus and everything's going to be great. And that's a lie. Jesus promised that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We imitate Jesus by submitting to suffering. Not in some kind of masochistic kind of way, but we need to enter into the suffering of others. We, in our up and to the right kind of culture where we're always trying to avoid death and avoid discomfort and upgrade our seats to better places so we don't get cramped. And what it, our whole culture is built off of not suffering. But Jesus enters into it and we're called to imitate that. That is the way of the cross. Paul was no stranger to this. He was beaten numerous times. He gives these lists in other places in his letters. Beaten numerous times. He's he's persecuted. He's cussed out. He's he's shipwrecked. Fill in the blank. Whatever happened, Paul Paul experienced it. And and we read in Romans 8 that if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That we are co-heirs if we share in suffering, if we pick up our cross and follow Jesus daily into the hard stuff of life. It is through suffering and weakness that God's power is at his greatest, and that's foolishness to everyone around us. That's insanity. That's not what life's about. And so the questions for you to reflect on who around you is suffering in your life. Maybe you are, but who around you is suffering? that you, do, you have not made time for. Because you know, if you enter into that suffering, you're going to be exhausted and tired and it's going to take time. And you just don't have time for that. And so you avoid it. How can you enter into suffering? I had the privilege of spending the last five weeks with 25 brave souls who are trying to walk the journey of forgiveness, of of either forgiving others for the harm that that, that has been done to them or forgiving themselves for things that they've done or a combination of both. And, And forgiveness is a form of suffering. 
It's letting go of, of harms and hurts. It's choosing to leave that for God. It's to tell the story, name the hurt, grant forgiveness and hope for reconciliation. It's the way of the cross shown to us by Jesus. And it's hard. What are the paths into suffering that you can, can take? If you're already in those spaces, continue, be faithful. Maybe another question is, who can you serve? How can you serve the least of these? If you, if you, if you I mean, we need to get away from just, you know, going to work, coming home, pulling into our garages, going to our house, turning on Netflix, and then spending the evening on our, on our own. That's not, I don't want to say it's like a blatant sin, but it's not the way of Jesus if that's all we ever do. To disengage from the profound needs of those caught in suffering is to reject the call to bear the image of God. When we enter into suffering, we are imaging God in Christ. Which brings us to the final invitation, which is we are invited to enter into community. We're invited into community. We cannot, this is hard stuff. If you're like, oh my gosh, this is really hopefully convicting, but this is overwhelming. This seems hard. Yeah, life with Jesus is really hard. It, that never should have been easy. We, oftentimes we pitch this really simple, easy pathway. It's like, no, Jesus calls us to die. So we cannot do it alone. And that is the gift of the church. We need cruciform community, kingdom, cross-like people who are going to walk alongside us and help us bear burdens together. We're going to put the, the, the diagram up again. And the answer to being grounded in the cross. We, can, we have the spirit, but we can't do it on our own. We're not made to do this life alone. Is to be grounded in cross-like community. That when we start acting out in a different direction, it's like, hey, that's not who you are in Christ. Come back. And when we start our beliefs, we're, we're, we're being you know, tempted by the ways of the world or whatever, like, that's, not, that's not who you are. Come back. And when you're being drawn into different things, that's not who you are. Come back. And, and that we are serving and suffering and loving and incarnating together in community. This is the gift. You cannot do it on our own. And so who, who is your community? Who's grounding you, holding you accountable? If you're not in community, reach out. Connect, write on the connect cards. Reach out to me. We've got groups. We have discipleship cohorts, which are amazing. There's lots of ways. We'd love to get you connected. Who is your community grounding you in this hard way, this countercultural, contrasting way that we are invited into just like Paul is inviting the Corinthians into? And then if you're already in a community, how can you start moving in the direction of incarnation and coming alongside those who are suffering? These are just a few questions for you to ask. Three invitations into incarnation, into suffering, and into community to help ground us as we follow the crucified king in his cruciform kingdom. So what's keeping you from jumping in to the rivers of grace that flow from the cross and the grave, from the abundant life that is true life, deep life, meaningful life, not an easy life, but the best life you could ever live. What is keeping you from diving in? Are you still on the banks of that river? Are you just dipping your toes in like, man, I, I don't know. Or maybe you're in the river, but you're swimming upstream and you're just like, you just got to give in and to, to surrender to the current of the kingdom in the way of the cross and the crucifixion. 
What's keeping you from diving into the healing waters of salvation to swim with the saints in this room and all around the world and all throughout history? What is keeping you from getting in? So I want, as we do every week, we're we're going to transition into time of communion. A participation around the table of Jesus. I want you to reflect on those questions. What is your next step of obedience with Jesus? What is keeping you from diving in? And then, and where could you just take one step in incarnation or suffering or into community? Which one step of obedience? And so for, for those of us who claim Christ as Lord and Savior and, and Master, there's elements on, on the way in you can take the, the, the bread that represents the broken body of Christ on the cross and then the, and the, the juice that represents his shed blood for our freedom and our forgiveness that, that enters into that reality, that new world, new way of life. As for the next few minutes, just reflect on the goodness of the cross, the invitation into the cruciform kingdom. What is your next step? Are you willing to dive in?